0: The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 through 22, and then flipping over to chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, and this can be found in the Blue Pew Bible on page 957. And what a wonderful opportunity we have uh, to listen to the word of God read and faithfully preached by Darwin. So give ear, for this is the very word of God. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now moving on to chapter 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the lord So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. The Word of God. Let's
1: pray again as we come to the Word. Lord, we must have your word and we must have your spirit so that we can lay hold of this word, so that this word will lay hold of us, so that we, Lord, will enter into it and believe it and live it out in our lives. Thank you that you give your spirit abundantly to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right. We are about to begin... uh, Weekly Communion. Okay, there I said it. Um, We are going to have it on the third Sunday. We're going to start this next Sunday and have it on the third Sunday until the end of the year. And then we're going to start full communion in January. That's my introduction. (laughs) I thought that would be interesting enough for an introduction just to say that. Uh, This sermon is to help prepare us... To that end, all right, uh, we're going to talk first about what the supper is and what we do in the supper, so that we can rehearse in our minds what it is, and and there, and then from that see why it is so important that we do this frequently, uh, and then at the end I'm going to talk about uh, what to expect for this next Sunday and some changes that we will make. So. Three things I want to lay before you. Uh, the proclamation, three words, proclamation, uh, participation, and anticipation. I wish I could say anticipate, participate, but proclamate is not a word. So um, that didn't work. So, <clears throat> but first of all, we proclaim his death. We read that in verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This is interesting that your eating and drinking is a proclamation. It's the same word used again and again in Scripture to describe the proclamation of the good news. As in Acts 17.3, when Paul is uh, preaching in Thessalonica, he says, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Same word. So in the supper, we all become preachers and we are all preaching a sermon about Christ's death. We proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. And every sermon itself is supposed to be about Christ and his death. Jesus, I mean, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 1 and 2, that he preached, he describes the whole of his preaching as preaching the cross of Christ. Everything could be summarized. This is what I preach, the the cross of Christ. Or later he says, I preach this, Christ and him crucified. Or in Ephesians 3 he puts it this way, I preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that's why, for instance, we don't simply preach how-tos to parents, for instance. We seek to show how Christ and his death mean everything to your parenting. That Christ is your resource and example for parenting. That his forgiveness is critical in the midst of your struggles and failures in parenting. And that his death and resurrection mean new life as a parent. We preach Christ as we preach about parenting and anything else. This is the core and goal of all preaching, no matter where in the word we are preaching. So, there really are two proclamations of Christ, uh, the, the proclamation of the word and the proclamation of the supper. There are really two sermons, one with words, one with symbols. We hear the first proclamation, but we see and smell and touch and even taste and eat and drink the second proclamation. But it is a proclamation. Both are about Christ and Him crucified. So you could say that the Lord's Supper is God's audiovisual. Right? It goes from eye, or it goes from ear. To I, From the CD of the sermon to the DVD of the Lord's Supper. That's maybe one way to look at it. Uh, James Smith says, It is a tangible display and performance of the gospel. A display and performance of the gospel. He goes on to say, It's as if the story we have been hearing and rehearsing in the first part of worship now comes with live illustrations. The live illustration and proclamation of the supper. But interestingly, this is not simply an audio-visual, this proclamation of the supper. It's like a hands-on museum, right? You can tell a child about a seashell or a fossil or a feather. You can even show them pictures of it. But there's nothing like going to the museum and actually handling those things, Right? And so is the supper. It's one thing to hear about tigers or to look at pictures of tigers or to watch a movie about a tiger. It's another thing, as I've been able to do, to hold a baby tiger in your arms, play with it, hear its little growl, and then feed it a bottle. You won't soon forget that. Why would I, don't, I will never forget it. Um, and... The the supper is meant to do this thing, to have an experience of Christ that you won't soon forget. The supper tends to seep into your imagination. The supper experience tends to grip you with its particular proclamation. But not only is the Lord's Supper an audiovisual and a hands-on museum, so to speak... We actually taste and eat and drink this proclamation. In the Coca-Cola headquarters in Atlanta, how many have been there? Ah, A few. Then you know the uh, drill. At the end, they don't only tell you about the different uh, kinds of Coke products, but there are some 30 different versions of it. And you can try them out like a fruit drink from Nigeria or this terrible bitter thing that the Italians drink. Uh, But you can taste it. You experience it. Uh, And so in the Lord's Supper, we actually put the symbolized gospel into our bodies. What? (laughs) We taste it. We chew it. We swallow it. We digest it very interesting proclamation of the gospel. A meal that is a sermon, a feast sermon, a sermon of action, a sermon of eating and drinking. But you see, in this way, the supper proclaims what we're to do with this Christ. That's its glory, that's part of its glory. We're to take Him to ourselves, to trust Him, to depend upon Him, to take Him for our life and sustenance as believers, to take Him for our forgiveness, to join ourselves to Him, to hide ourselves in Him, to rest in Him for relief and rescue, to make Him the vital part of our life the supper proclaims not just it proclaims the death of Christ and it proclaims how we're to give ourselves to Christ and receive Christ it proclaims that it's Christ's death that nourishes and sustains us it proclaims that it is Christ's death that comforts us and shelters us and strengthens strengthens us and it proclaims his death being enjoyed by his people What a proclamation. What a proclamation. And the weekly involvement in the Lord's Supper can encourage us, this is your response. Not a response of self-help, but a response of faith and dependence, of helplessness, helpless receiving of the beauty and gifts of Jesus. It's... Interesting in John 6, Jesus is describing faith in him. Now, he's not describing, though it may seem like he's not describing the Lord's Supper here. It may be an, an analogy for it, but he's not describing the Supper. And this is how he describes faith. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Very graphic. In fact, a lot of people abandoned him when he said this. It's graphic, though, because faith is graphic. Faith is bare and earthy and unashamed. Faith is desperate. Faith is hungry. No, faith is starving. Faith is dying of thirst. It's naked and blind and lost and enslaved and dead it comes to jesus for life it comes to jesus for forgiveness it comes to jesus for power to live differently you see faith clings to christ and in a sense it spiritually it eats him down you know it has him and receives him and continues to feed on him and depend on him from day to day so christ goes on to say in john 6 he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me And I in him. So the Lord's Supper, you see, proclaims just that kind of faith in Christ. What Jesus says we must do spiritually, we actually do in symbol. And so the Supper proclaims this is how we must trust in Christ and depend on Christ. So that's proclamation. But let's talk a bit about participation. We find that in the earlier chapter, in chapter 10, where he says, The cup of blessing, verse 16, that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And some of you are familiar with the Greek word koinonia, from which we get the word fellowship. Some churches even call the koinonia church. And koinonia can be translated not only fellowship, it can be translated as communion, which is a word we use to describe this, that we're coming to communion. Communion with what? Well, communion with the body and blood of Jesus. That's what communion with. We could name, uh, we could name it participation or name it sharing because this means that we are sharing in His body and blood, we are involving ourselves in his body and blood; we are, in a sense, joining ourselves to his body and blood. You see, communing with him, this participation means that the benefits of his body and blood become ours, that we 're sharing purposely believingly sharing in the benefits of Christ's death. We come under the shelter and protection of His death. In the Old Testament, many of you are familiar with that night when God brought terrible judgment on the firstborn of Egypt and He told the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and to put its blood on the doorpost of their houses and seeing that blood you know the death angel passed over that house and those houses that didn't have it the egyptian houses lost the firstborn he was he was killed and so the very name of the feast became the passover feast and it was at that passover feast that christ instituted the lord's supper pointing to the fact that he is the passover lamb He is the one who sacrifices himself and covers our life with his blood so that we are protected against the wrath of God. And so Paul can say earlier in this same letter, 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And so when you come to the supper, participating in his body and blood... It's like being invited into one of those houses with the Lamb's blood on the door and to share the protection it offers. And you are putting yourself under the precious blood of Christ, continuing to trust in it, graphically taking it to yourself in this symbol to say, I hide myself in His body and blood. I stand under the protection of His body and blood. That's what it means, you see, to participate In his death. So Christ said, Do this in remembrance of me, but he didn't mean to just think about his death and remember that he died. No, remember and share in my death, share in all the benefits of my death, share in its forgiveness, share in its safety and deliverance, share in its new life. A remembrance that enters into and lays hold of that glorious work. And it's important to remember that these benefits come to us only through faith. There's not some magic thing about the elements that get grace into us, you know, that, that get Christ into us or get his benefits into us. The same faith that we exercise toward the gospel that's preached is the faith we exercise toward the supper when it preaches to us, you see. We're simply responding to the revelation of Christ's goodness to us in the supper. Whatever's proclaimed of Christ in the Word is proclaimed to us in the supper. The seeing and smelling and touching and eating and drinking aren't magic ways to get Christ in me, it's a proclamation to be believed. You see, the supper further persuades us of the truth of the gospel. It comes alongside that gospel and says, you must not ignore this. You must believe this. This is real. This is true. This is for you. Take it. Have it. You see, it won't let you go in a sense. It won't just let you go on your way, but it, it demands an immediate response, an immediate coming to Christ, an immediate closing with Christ. It it further calls us and turns our head and catches our attention with that same gospel. It further convinces us and it further assures us of this good news. And that's why it's called a means of grace. It's listed in our confessions as a means of grace. Taking us through the physical motions even that encourage us to take Christ and receive Christ and feed on Christ and depend on Christ. It encourages us to share in everything Christ has done for us. It's interesting the Belgian confession says that in the sacrament he is better presented to our senses. And you might not think that's important, but it is important cuz you've got senses, you're an embodied creature. Your flesh and blood—we're part of this creation, and that is important. That the full, uh, the full humanity be engaged, and so it says he's better presented to our senses—the physical presentation of the same Christ that's presented in the word of the gospel, and so it encourages us. The supper basically says, "Look at him, touch him, taste him." Take him. The supper says he is yours, as sure as this bread and wine is yours. And so it nourishes your faith. It builds up your faith. So we, it's, there's proclamation, there's participation, but there's also anticipation in the supper. Okay, proclamation, participation, anticipation or proclimate, participate, and anticipate. Because Paul wrote in that verse we looked at first, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And he has that little phrase, until He comes. Until He comes. So the implication here is that though we share in His death, We certainly don't share in a dead Christ. Okay? Very important. This statement, until he comes, assumes these things. That he is the living Christ. That he is the resurrected Christ. Who ascended to heaven and rules all things. That all powers of the world, visible and invisible, are subjected to him. Therefore, and only because of that, can he come one day, which he will, and restore the earth, the whole world, until he comes, this living Lord over all. When he died, he said, it is finished. Sin was paid for. He fully suffered the wrath of God in the place of his people, and as you've heard before, the father's resurrection of Jesus was basically his amen to Christ. It is finished. Absolutely. It is finished as though the father said in the resurrection, go free, mighty warrior, mighty savior, go forth into new resurrection life that you have won for your people. And so as the mighty resurrected one, he comes to us to bless us in the preaching of the word and the preaching of the supper. And because he is the Lord of all creation, nothing can stop him in this moment from applying his death to his people in the word and in the supper. Nothing can stop him. He is Lord. That's pretty encouraging when you come in and wonder, wonder what could happen today. Well, how could it not? He's Lord and he's bent on blessing his people, and he's given us the word which proclaims this good news and this symbol which assures us of the reality of that good news. Nothing can stop him from enriching us with all the benefits of everything that he has done. And so we come to the supper expecting this living Christ to be present with us and to commune with us and to provide all that we need for life and godliness. This is supper with the king. The king who has died for us. The king who is overwhelmingly generous with his gifts. A king who comes to pour out his riches into the lives of his people. We come to have supper with this king. To sit at table and see him pour out his blessings into our lives. So until he comes, he's the living one who's coming. Therefore, he's the reigning one who comes now. And this meal then anticipates the coming meal with Him, not just spiritually here, as glorious as that is, but finally the physical marriage supper of the Lamb where we will indeed enjoy meal in the very physical presence of Christ. It's interesting, Psalm 78 rehearses the Israelites' unbelief in the wilderness. And when they heard that God was going to provide food, they mockingly said, Can God provide a table in the wilderness? And here's the glorious thing. He's provided a present table in the wilderness of this world. A present table where we feast upon Christ until He comes and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Christ. As David said, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, what a table He has prepared for us in the presence of our enemies on earth. And so, for His people on earth, Christ has in the midst of every kind of trial and devastating loss, in the face of persecution and imprisonment and torture and death, He has provided a table that proclaims His death until He comes. How glorious that the supper itself points us to that final marriage supper of the Lamb. It points us to present communion with this mighty Lord who will one day come. And so the table really is a sign of the new creation. It's a sign of the renewal of all things in Christ. As one has said, it's a microcosm of the way things ought to be. And you could say, is the way things are going to be. We reconcile to God and reconcile to each other. And ultimately, it will be the very reconciliation of the earth itself. All of that's proclaimed in the supper. And amazingly, we're not the only ones anticipating. Jesus said... This is it's in each version of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But this is Mark's version in chapter 14. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That's a touching thing that he is waiting. It's a small thing, but you wait you don't start eating until the one who's prepared the meal has sat down to eat. Well, in this case, Jesus is the one who's provided the feast. But he's not taking one bite, one drink of wine until his, his children are there, until his people are there, until his, what he calls his brothers and sisters are there. We're gone from him, so he waits with great joy and anticipation when he will drink that with us in that day. If Jesus is anticipating that, certainly we get to anticipate it. And it gets to sweeten our days as we participate in this symbol, this down payment, this foretaste of that final glorious feast that we will have with Christ. So, there's proclamation, participation, anticipation. And hopefully you can hear from these things that Well, given all of these rich things that are there in the supper, why not have it more often? Why would we close ourselves off to participation in in the supper in this way? Why would we not proclaim Him every Sunday in the supper? And if we withhold the supper, we have to ask, are we weakening the faith of our people? Because they don't have the strength of the supper. And your elders, after a long time of consideration, have concluded, yes, we do need to have the supper every week. Now, we, I have a paper, it's an eight-page paper, 125 copies, it's on the table outside, that discusses frequency. Okay, why should we have it every week? And try to go into more detail uh, than we've provided here. I, I, we try to show how the confessions have held it forth as a means of grace. And therefore, if it's a means of grace, let's let's take that means of grace. Uh, I talk about how it orients preaching in the right direction to, to focus upon Christ. Preaching mustn't be a boat that drops you 500 yards from the pier of the Lord's Supper, but bring you right up to the pier with its preaching of Christ. Um, and then we, we talk in there about uh, how it, le- it, it allows a, this immediate time of response to Christ and, and teaches us how to respond to Him in the gospel, to depend upon Him. It's not our own strength. We talk in there about how it, what effect it has on our fellowship Transformation and even our missions, and so I hope that you will read that. Read it this week if you can, um, and if we run out of copies, we've got a way to sign up. So um, now here's the uh, here's the part about doing this that's unique to our situation. Uh, we're proposing that we keep doing what we're doing on the first Sunday of every month. But that we're going to go to a different method of having the Lord's Supper on the other three Sundays. And that is that we will distribute the bread and wine to you while you are sitting. Now, if you're new to our fellowship, that may not matter that much to you. If you've been here for a while and you love the way we do it, as we've heard, you may be disappointed in this. And possibly you might even think that it's less biblical. Maybe you don't. But that's the way we tend to get sometimes with our traditions. You know, we tend to hold on to them. <clears throat> Maybe you've had associations, as I've heard some of you uh, express, uh, with distribution that have not been so good. So there may be a various reactions to this. <clears throat> but I want to spend just a little time as to why we're doing this and what we think the congregation can, how the congregation can grow uh, from this. First, and this won't be that long, okay. First, it's interesting that in the account in Luke uh, of the Lord's Supper, we read in chapter 22, he says this in verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Okay, we've just considered that. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. Distribute it among yourselves. Okay? So it's certain that Jesus didn't stand in a certain spot in the upper room, and the disciples came to him and stood while he distributed first the bread and the wine. Rather, as they all reclined at table, he distributed the bread and wine, giving it to the next person that person gave it to the next, etc. So the idea was that they were at table with Jesus, sharing in the table fellowship with Christ. Now, I am not saying because of this that what we're doing is wrong and we're going to do something right, okay? Uh, I think that you can certainly enjoy the Lord's Supper in various ways, but it does at least say the opposite that it's not wrong to distribute since they distribute it, okay? That's all I'm saying about this. Now, the table, though, that you see right here in Protestant churches is is purposeful because it replaces the altar of the Catholic Church. That's why we one of the reasons we are protesting. Protestant churches, because we don't believe in an altar where the priest actually sacrifices Christ afresh every week to extend the atonement to benefit his people, but rather there's a table where we enjoy the finished work of Christ, and it is a table that extends to us immediate fellowship in the presence of God. So the table is very important as part of our furniture. It says something about what we believe about Christ and what He has done for us. And so, what while we cannot all come and sit at a table, the idea in distribution is that the table up front is, is seen as an extended table at which all of us sit to share this meal with one another and with Christ. It... uh, can be argued that this concept, at least of extended table and sitting at table, is lost if we come forward. But did I tell you that we'll not be taking anything away from the first Sunday, just adding the next three. Just want to remind you of that. Um, So, as some have said, this is not so much to be a concert hall, certainly not, or lecture hall, or at least only lecture but it's really to be a banqueting hall where we come and feast upon Christ in sermon and feast upon Christ in the supper. It's a banqueting hall. And I want to encourage you to think that way as you're sitting there at your banquet table, okay? And, and the good food of Jesus is being passed out one to another. Another thing to consider, not only table, but priesthood. We all are priests before God, called into fellowship as one in Christ, right? And so we have a ministry to each other. And neatly, I think, this is reflected as the bread is passed out and as each one of you hold the plate for the next person. And as we're going to encourage uh, to even speak something like the body of Christ or the peace of Christ is yours, and so you have this personal ministry in each other's lives as you pass the plate. A personal participation in this ministry. We may provide suggestions in the bulletin or we may even give a particular phrase that we use on a given Sunday and say, this is what we're going to speak to each other uh, today. Um, and so being at table, though, you see, is is important to think about sitting with the king at his table. That's so glorious. We talked about Mephibosheth recently, being invited into King David's uh, uh, table and, and eating there. And that's what's happening to us Mephibosheths, sitting and eating at the king's table and distributing and speaking to each other glad words of our joint participation in this table. And so we hope that in this way it can share the covenant meal in a more deliberate way and and, uh, participate. And also this shows that we elders are not the priests and that you have to come down and get it from us. Now, we don't have that theology of the Catholic Church where the priest is the sole conduit of the grace of God. But coming forward can make you think that. You might get the wrong idea of that, you see. And so we're uh, purposely going to break from that so that you can see we all are priests before God. And uh, we all participate in this. Now, all that being said, on a practical level, we're thinking this way as well. That distribution is going to be physically easier ...and more concise for us as a congregation. Now, that doesn't constitute a reason, especially if it would sacrifice a scriptural command or practice... ...or if it would jeopardize the benefit of the supper. But a couple of things to think about in connection with that. Um, One is that we abbreviate our service on the first Sunday of each month when we have the Lord's Supper as we do. And so there's less of that rich liturgy that we all enjoy... That would have to be done maybe every week, and then on top of that, we don't do uh, certain announcements. We don't well, we don't do ministry moments, and we don't do baptisms on the first Sunday. Well, now when do we do them? Well, it's really going to extend things out to put them uh, as in the same days that we have the Lord's Supper in this extended way, um, and so if and as we're growing, that's going to get even longer or. If we had to one day split into two services, then the arrangement of service, Sunday school service, is going to mean more concise way to do this. So, um, distribution seems to take nothing away from what we're doing on the first Sunday, but it offers something to the congregation. Coming down front allows... Personal interaction with the elders and a unique opportunity for the elders to minister the gospel. But distribution teaches that we're at table with our Lord, having a fellowship meal with Him, and enables you to directly relate to one another and to minister to one another. Um, So we're hoping that this will allow us to keep a rich service and have the Lord's Supper on those days. It also helps. Uh, with our our children, the management of children. We don't even have uh, children or or junior church on that first Sunday. And so this would allow us to keep that on the other Sundays as well. So that's enough uh, little uh, office keeping, so to speak. We're going to give it, as I said, a try just on the third Sunday of each month for the rest of this year kind of our trial thing, trying to learn about it, try to get used to it a little bit, starting with this Sunday coming up. And actually, tomorrow night, we're meeting with the deacons, the elders are, uh, 30 minutes before their meeting, to do a dry run, to learn how to do this and and try to get ready for this. So, this is, uh, it's involved uh, a lot for Sally Cucum, who prepares our, the Cucum family that prepares the Lord's Supper for us. And, may mean the involvement of more people. So there are a lot of things that we have to consider in, in doing this. Um, but I want to encourage you that its bark may be worse than its bite. Okay? That you who want our present pa- practice to be extended may be surprised that you receive a great benefit through this method as well. And you who don't want the Lord's Supper more than once a month because this seems a little heavy to do this every week... Uh, may be surprised that this version gives you a rich experience without the uh, length of time that may not be attractive to you. And just remind you of the statements that we've all made, support the church in its work and worship to the best of your ability and submit to the government and discipline of the church. Or if I, I rewrote it, I would put submit to the care and oversight of the church. So we're asking you not just to submit reluctantly, you know, okay, I'll try it, but I ain't gonna like it, you know. <laughs> Let's not have that attitude, right? Uh, or even a neutral, you know, well, I'm, I'm just not gonna like, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna really get involved in, but I would hope that you'll welcome this. Welcome this. You're getting to have this supper more. That's wonderful. It's glorious. Welcome and embrace it. Let's also expect great things from the Lord as we seek to honor Him in this. We're seeking to intensify our experience of His grace in our lives. And that is good. Let us pray for His blessing. I remind you what Psalm 34 says. Taste the Lord and see that He is good. And a final word to you. If you don't know Christ, may I read just this, these two verses from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. You don't earn this. You just come and embrace Jesus, helpless as you are, broken and sinful as you are. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then this question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. We invite you to eat of Jesus Christ, to trust in him and have him and delight in him for the whole of your days, for your forgiveness and for a whole new life in him. Let us pray. Lord, as we. Seek to move ahead and seek to please you in this. Seek to conform to your ways and to seek to, Lord, know more of your grace and be open to more of your ministry in our lives. Uh, As we seek to pattern ourselves with what we understand the early church did and so much of the church has for centuries, Lord, we pray that you would bless us. Give us wisdom in it. Give us patience in it. Give us a delight, give us an eagerness and a mutual submission one to another as we seek to grow in this new way that will have many things that are not altogether comfortable. But, O oh Lord, we pray that we will uh, unite in Christ and unite to seek You and, and, and rest in Your grace and expect Your great grace working in our midst through Jesus Christ, both in the preaching of the Word And the enjoyment of the supper itself. Lord bless us for your glory. Amen.